Welcome in, everybody. This is Eric Starr. This is the Solar Insights Podcast. I got Troy Tausha here again to recap our NBA awards. How are you doing, Troy? I'm doing pretty well. It's been an interesting NBA season. You know, college kept me a little busy, so I've been I've been watching a lot. I've been writing quite as much, but I've been sort of observing from afar and tweeting a lot. So that's something. Wonderful. Yes, it has been a certainly interesting uh, season so far. We have some turmoil, some interesting MVP race. Uh, we both actually listened to the old podcast. I would definitely have everybody check that out. Pardon the uh, phone calls randomly and my editing skills as that was like my second podcast but uh, I've ever produced. But uh, take a look at that. We had some really interesting thoughts. And I, even though you and I, Troy, are not famous uh, by any NBA standards here, I would really encourage everybody to take a look at that because it had some really interesting uh, insights. But let's take a look and see how wrong we were about so so many of the actual predictions um, and see what we see what we got. Well, first, we'll start out with your general thoughts about how the NBA season has rolled out so far. I mean, it's been it's been an interesting season just because I, I think you can find, if you go back through, you can find examples of this in any season. But I think I think in this case, sort of specifically, you can you can see that like everything is true until it's not true anymore. Yeah. And I think, again, I think that's true for every season to some degree. But this season, I just feel like every single thing that I, like, thought I knew is true for two months and then isn't true for a month and then is true again. And so, like, like, like my favorite example right now, the Hornets <laughs> They started out, what, like 12-2, and two, something like that? And they've dated a lot of people who are high on them, and now they're just bad. So I feel like it's been a... Hard season to peg down just because everything, everything, every team has looked really good basically, and every team has looked terrifically bad. So you know, <laughs> I don't even know what to think about a lot of things. Well, we'll get into the. Uh, let's start with the MVP race here because that's going to take up the most of the time here, some of the time. I thought the funniest thing from listening to the podcast again was how you like try to estimate how many triple doubles Westbrook would have, and. Because an absurd amount, you said like 17, 18, absurd amount. He is like 38 right now. It's crazy. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's been, it's been pretty fun. So, um, I'll just, uh, detail. I got the, all of our predictions in front of me and we'll, uh, go through them and kind of talk about what went wrong, what kind of didn't work, and our, uh, caveats that we had in the, in the previous podcast. Well, so, um, Troy had, um, going three to one, three being the farthest away, and then two, one, uh, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, and I had LeBron James, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook. So, what did you think about our picks and how they've kind of turned out in this season? Well, I didn't think Russ was going to be as much of what we all thought he was going to be as he was. That's why I said, like, 20 triple doubles would be crazy, and he's well past that. Um, I didn't think the Rockets were going to be good enough to justify considering Harden. And that's one of those things. That's one of those... In any given season, I think there are some takes that, like, everyone had that we're all embarrassed about. Like, the the idea that the Warriors made a huge mistake not trading for Kevin Love is an example. (laughs) Most people thought that, and if you ask them about terrible takes, they will tell you that was one of the worst. I think the Rockets not being good was one of the worst... They generally believe things of the year. Um, LeBron and Kawhi are LeBron and Kawhi, so... I mean, and all three of those guys are in the top four, so weren't that far. Yeah, we were, we were pretty good there, although we were talking about... I remember it was our conversation about Kawhi was interesting because it was true at the time that he was not a prolific offensive machine, but he kind of is now. Yeah, now he's, he's what, 26? Something like that? Uh... Maybe, I mean, if that, I mean, maybe 25, but probably 26 by now. It's been a while. LeBron right now in basketball reference about the 26. Okay. But, um, no, I didn't think any of those three guys, and the reason I picked LeBron was because I thought all three of those guys would have arguments, but I didn't think any of them would blow away the field and beat LeBron, and then the, but all three of them kind of, you know, put their name in the number one spot, now we just have to choose. Yeah, I mean, I don't think LeBron I was thinking. I mean, LeBron's kind of faded in terms of their defense as a team to to be so dominant, and maybe he's coasting like we kind of talked about. Um, and they're just not quite as good. I mean, if the Celtics are catching them, 
Like, that's not, like, how can LeBron be the MVP in the East if he's not even the one seed and he takes games off and his stats aren't as good as everybody else's? Although he is shooting pretty well from three. That was, uh, I won't rant too much about this, but that was the thing about the, the whole like, coasting and the whole thing where we all are just, like, automatically the Cavs will be fine. I understand that at LeBron's age, with all the minutes he's played, and it, it's just insane the amount of, you know, time he spent on the court. He's played more than Michael Jordan ever did in his career total. Yep. And, but the thing to me there is just, like, I understand saving energy. I understand that there's a there's a fundamental need to prepare yourself, especially with, you know, a team like the Warriors facing you down on the other end. But at some point, I think there is a phenomenon where you coast so hard that you end up setting a negative tone for your team. Yep. And I think LeBron is sort of falling into that. And also, it's not just that. It's the fact that he is very clearly coasting and then goes into press conferences pissed off that they lose. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to go full blast, but if you really want to not lose by 30 to the Spurs, you got to dial it up a little bit, man. I don't know. Yeah, there's something about that there. I mean, but I, I don't – him winning LeBron, – LeBron winning uh, – MVP, it seems like a little bit of a long shot now, just because it seems like it's, well, Kawhi, is, he's got to be there, and he will be there for the next five years. I think it's between Harden and, and Russ a little bit. What do you think? I think it's Harden and Russ for 1-2, and then LeBron and Kawhi at 3-4, and then 5 is just a complete... Somebody, yeah. So, I have no idea. I would... I would never bet anything on who's going to be fifth on the MVP ballot. It could be like one of like eight people. Yeah, I think that's going to be a really interesting. Who's going to get that? Who's going to get that fifth? Who's going to get that fifth spot? Um, I don't think it's going to be Blake Griffin, like you said at the at the end. And it's not going to be my guy Paul George, who I had predicted as our dark horses. But uh, uh, we'll see who it is. I mean, it's going to be very interesting. So it's really interesting to me. What? So James Harden, not. A, not a very good defensive player. Not neither. as bad as he used to be, but not, not you know, good. But neither is Russ. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to caveat it. I saying all these guys are doing a whole bunch of other stuff, but there's a point to this. Russell Westbrook, same thing, not actually a really good defender. LeBron can be a great defender when he's locked in, doesn't lock in. If Isaiah Thomas gets fifth on the MVP ballot, I'm going to be fascinated by the theory that Defense like matters so much to the smart NBA people. If four of who we deem the best five players probably didn't play very good defense or played actively terrible defense in the regular season, I think that's going to be a fascinating sort of example of what we value as a basketball community. If we just say none of these guys play defense, but they all did all this other stuff, so who cares? Yeah, it's really interesting because it's it's like I think it's these their offensive games take them into another realm that the other players can't touch in the league. And then it's like, well, now we have to find a reason that they can't be MVP. And since they're all kind of, I mean, yeah, so I kind of see what you mean, but it's really interesting. You're right. I can't, it's the, I get, I like the point about the, these NBA writers and all these people are saying defense matters. And yet when it comes to MVP, we happen to have some that really don't seem to play defense. And my kind of caveat to that is I think it's because it takes so much energy to really play that good offense. It's like, you can't be Andre Robertson who can do put all his energy into into that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, on um, the terms of Harden versus Russ, I think that people are going to say that if Russ wins it's cuz the triple doubles, and I don't think so. I like what some someone said, I can't remember who it is, but it's his intensity, his be able to be clutch, his the ability the well, people may say it's uh not try try not to have it be a factor. Him carrying his team, carrying his team. I, th- I mean, other, of all the other teams, I think he carried his team the most of the four of those four guys. Um, what do you? What do you? Th- so I think that's that's the reason. If he wins it for Harden, it's the it's the basically that uh, um, points added stat that's his assists and his points together. It's just crazy. I mean, he doesn't get the rebounds that Russ does. He also doesn't really try to get rebounds necessarily. Um, but he's he, and, like eight yeah, and he still has what is it like? He has like seventeen triple doubles, and and Russ has like thirty-seven. So it's so it's like they're both pretty close in more more areas. Um, so it's a toss-up. I'm now kind of leaning towards Harden a little bit. 
But I, I mean, every other day, one of them does something spectacular and we could go either way. That's why I'm so fascinated. But like I think someone mentioned, maybe it was Zach Lowe, that it's those third, second, third, fourth place votes that are going to get somebody to win it because everybody's going to have those top three places fluctuating, um, those spots fluctuating. And it's those, a person who somebody leaves LeBron off or somebody leaves Kawhi off, somebody leaves Harden off, somebody leaves Russ off. And whoever gets left off the most, who's not, who's, who's not going to win it. So it's not going to be those who got selected number one. It's who didn't get left, who got left off the ballot completely. Yeah, I think, and there's a part of me that feels like that gives Russ an advantage because I do think that you saw this. I forget who did it, but someone did that straw poll of like voters. Yeah, and the triple double thing for Westbrook did play a large role in it. So I feel like that gives him a boost because there's there's a point I feel like everyone comes to where they're like, well, the guy averaged a triple-double. Like, I've got to stop putting people over him, even if you put him two or three. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that gives Russ an advantage. Like, honestly, Russ is, in my opinion, I think Harden probably is too. I think both of those guys are locks to be on any, any ballot. Yeah, they better be <laughs> if you're smart about basketball. But I feel like if between like between the two, I feel like Russ is going to be somewhere on every ballot just because of the triple double thing on top of the fact that he's just really good. So I think he gets a slight edge in terms of like the math. I'm I'm really really uh, between it. Like at the beginning of the season, I was very very pro Harden, even though Westbrook did get off, you know, averaging a triple double to start. I was really really pushing for Harden, but the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, man. They just lost Kevin Durant, and no one else on that team can make a shot. Yeah, I mean it's it's like it's like all blue collar guys except for for Russ. I mean it's Russ, Stephen Adams, Oladipo, who's whatever. I mean it's not he's not bad, but Robertson and like I mean it's McDermott and it's 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 like what how are how are they do you th- okay here's the question do you think they've won enough games for him to warrant MVP? I think I, I think. For me, this is sort of a different circumstance just because he's doing this suddenly becoming the only person offensively the teams really need to care about. I know generally we like to see the top, you know, couple seed guys get it, but to me, just given what they've lost, I feel like I'm not really going to care about that. And the other thing is, my, 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 we don't have to get into this whole conversation because we've got other awards to talk about. My whole, like, my whole thing with, like, the supporting cast argument has been, I think if you just plucked both guys off their teams, I think those teams are roughly equivalent, though very different. But I think Harden's team is much is a much better fit around him and his skill set than Westbrook's is. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like Harden, Harden's supporting cast looks so good is because they were more intentionally built together. Yeah. With Durant gone, I feel like, and, and that's one of the things that I feel like is different between them is Harden's team is was you know built up to the point that it is. The thing for Russell Westbrook and his team was that this is not what they want to be necessarily because they had Kevin Durant. Yeah, so I feel like that that buys me a little bit of favor towards or gives a little bit of favor towards Westbrook just because he's sort of playing he's sort of playing against his team's vision in that sense. Like, they didn't want to be the sixth seed. They wanted to go for something. This is the team that, like, Harden was... This is the team that the Rockets wanted to give him. Yeah, I mean, they have all the shooters, but it doesn't doesn't mean that the, the, the surrounding sporting cast around Harden is better. It's just better fit for him. Like, if Harden's not there, that... This idea that, like, Westbrook plays with a bunch of garbage players. It's not, yeah. Harden and the team look better because they are they connect more symbiotically than Westbrook with a bunch of guys who can kind of defend and can shoot. I mean, both teams would be pretty pretty bad without their, those two star players. But I mean, I, I, that would be interesting to see. I would love to see both those teams play each other without Harden without Russ because like the, the Rockets are basically just they have no playmakers except for Harden. I mean, and then the Russ. I mean, do they have any shooting outside of Hart, outside of Russ? So that's the question. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see. They have a little bit of McDermott, but so it'd be interesting to see that. So I think there's going to be interesting uh, th- three, four-way race there between, but really two-way race between for MVP. It's interesting that if Kevin Durant hadn't gotten injured, he would have been. 
pretty close to that, actually MVP, closer than we thought. And Steph just fell off from the, the fall off in and of itself is what caused him not to be MVP. Not that he's actually bad, because it's just he was so ridiculously good for those year, two years, that it's almost impossible to, to, to do that again. Um, but the funny thing is, I mean, just marveling at for a while, for about, for months of the season, Durant, Westbrook, and Harden were the MVP top three. Who used to all be on the same team? <laughs> yeah, that will never go away. You can justify it like however you want, uh, like the Harden trade. That will never go away as a concept, even if it was a reasonable deal to make and stuff. Like it doesn't matter. It's just amazing. <laughs> it will never go away. Yes. So that's so we'll just leave the MVP race there. That's pretty interesting. Let's move on to the Rookie of the Year, which I don't even know why, because it's the weirdest thing ever. Um, let's just re- I'll recap what you had. Um, you had Denzel Wa- Denzel Valentine. I will always say Denzel Washington. Apparently, um, Chris Dunn and Buddy Heald. Well, I had Jamal Murray, Brandon Ingram, and Chris Dunn. Um, none of those which look very good. Um, it, uh, we we when we when we did that post- podcast, we were not really counting uh, Sarich or uh, Embiid as because they hadn't been drafted that draft. Uh, maybe we should have. I don't know. What do you think? Well, yeah, because technically they do count. It just didn't occur to me in the sense that, like, number one, I didn't think Embiid was going to be that good coming back from two years. That fast, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, we didn't really count them because they didn't weren't in the draft, even though they're technically our rookies, just like Blake Griffin broke his foot. But I didn't expect either of them to factor yeah. in that much. So, I mean, it's looking to me like if it's not Saric, because Embiid only played 31, 31 games, and he... If he plays the whole season, he's the rookie of the year automatically. He played amazing. He's so talented. But he didn't, he only played 31 games. So it's either between Saric or in my, in my idea, I think it's uh, Brogdon from Milwaukee. What do you think? I am, I am super mega pro Brogdon. I love him. I don't even know, like, what it is. I just, he's, he's Andre Guadala. <laughs> yeah, he's some, he's something like that. Just like, I, I, I mean, the moment everyone loved him was when he posterized Kawhi, or not Kawhi, Kyrie and LeBron in the same game <laughs> in, like, epic fashion. But I think he's got real skills in a lot of areas. So I think he'd he be my, my pick right now. I think Sarge has played well, too, though, so I'm not going to hold it against him. Yeah. Although, looking at our thing, I think Jamal Murray may have been the closest of all the people we picked. But... No, I, I mean, no, I don't know. He's he's not, but he's not good. I mean, he's not bad, but he's not good yet. I would not, I mean, this this draft was so trash. <laughs> yet. The trash, it's trash right now. We'll see what happens in five years when this, we can actually see who's good. But uh, it's amazing. It's just in contrast to last year's draft, it's trash. But we'll see. Well, I mean, some, but we'll see. Um, let's go to Defensive Player of the Year. This is going to be interesting. Um, somehow, I guess we were both uh, kind of stupid because we didn't have Draymond Green on either of our ballots. Um, it's versatility, man. It's versatility that is in this league now. It's not blocks. It's not rebounds. It's not necessarily even rim protection. It's versatility, and can you guard multiple positions and lock down when you need to lock down? Um, you had uh, Whiteside, uh, John Dre Jordan, and Kawhi Leonard. I had uh, Hassan Whiteside, Rudy Gobert, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, Kawhi could easily win it, but it could be Draymond. It's going to be basically Kawhi or Draymond for the next seven years. I think Gobert has Gobert has supporters because he they, they they need him like so much back there. Yeah, even though they have perimeter players. Just because if they ever let anything slip through, you know, you know, the, the thing to me is, for a guy that size, he's surprisingly able to do a lot of, like, mobile things yep. that not even a lot of good shot blockers can do. Like, he can really turn and keep with guys and, you know, go for chase downs and stuff. Not even because he's tall, but because he's able to, you know, be agile. 
he's mobile. Yeah. He is. He is, I mean, I agree. I mean, he's my second pick. I still think he's there. It's it's him, but I I think in the eyes of the the voting public, I think it's still Draymond or Kawhi because of the national scene, the, the like their stardom um, and the versatility there. But Rudy Gobert is very good. I mean, I'm I I had him second on my defensive player of the year list. It's just yeah. Kawhi and Draymond are so versatile and so like. Like I think it's also the dichotomy between big men defensive and perimeter defensive. Like you can't put Rudy Gobert to lock to quote unquote lock somebody down, but you put Draymond and Kawhi and someone stops scoring and you're like, well, they must be a pretty good defender. So it's like it's like you have to just the dichotomy between those two. I I should I didn't feel bad because I thought of Draymond when I made that original prediction. The reason I didn't really put Draymond on was because I genuinely did not know how much defense the Warriors were going to play, and therefore I thought Draymond was just going to average, like, two blocks and two steals, and other than that, just sort of, you know, not not necessarily coast, but just not play at 100% speed until he needed to, because they were going to be up by 30 every game regardless. Yeah. Um, I think my, my, like, if I made a ballot right now, I'd probably go Gobert, Draymond, and then I, st- I still, I know like the, the the advanced numbers on Kawhi aren't as good. I know, you, you know, some people will tell you that he's he's a little bit less clean just because he's got a lot more on his mind now. I think just the fact that they put such a patchwork operation around him defensively, and they still hold up is a testament both to him and Pop because you know that he is always floating around to cover for these other guys who aren't good at defense. Yep. And so, you know, Durant Durant is now hurt, and some of those other guys, including Steph, you know, are average to above average to slightly below average defensively, depending on the day. But I still feel like, man, Draymond at least has anything. I can tell you, who's the second, or I guess the second best defensive player is Danny Green. Yeah. The third best defensive player, uh... On the Spurs right now, is it Aldridge? No, it's not Aldridge. I think it's uh, uh, the backup center, the backup center, um, Deadman probably, maybe I don't know. Yeah, so that's not the point. <laughs> that's not an enticing proposition. Nope. You're a wing defender at all. We we'll have to ask some of the Spurs guys, but you're right. Yeah, so we got to ask some of the Spurs guys about that. But we'll, I mean, yeah, it's it's Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi. If I made a ballot, it'd be Gobert, uh, Draymond, and Kawhi is in some order for sure. Um, what I, I, I still gotta like not heckle you, but for having DeAndre Jordan on here, but that's for another day. Um, but what I would lo- have loved to have seen is Durant to be healthy and make, get defensive player of the year because he was playing out of his mind. Oh yeah, he. There was a point there when I think he was, he was the only one who was really, really gunning defensively, mostly early in the season when I felt like they were they were being a bit too too cocky for their own good. I really felt like he sort of locked in on that and said, like, you, you know, I, I showed defensively, I think, especially in that in that series with the Warriors in the playoffs, like, he showed his peak power defensively, and I think he really was like, you know, how how long can I actually sustainably do that? He was great for a while there. Yeah, I wish he had, I mean, he's my favorite player in the whole NBA ever, but, so I think, I wish that he would, could have done it, but, well, I mean, We'll see. We'll see if he can keep it up next next year or when he comes back. I mean, he, I think he's evaluated tomorrow their press conference to see if he uh, can come back soon. Um, but he is so good defensively when he when he can be, and now that he doesn't have to do so much on offense because it's Steph and it's Clay and Draymond playmaking. Like he can focus on it when he needs to and stuff. Well, let's move along to the sixth man of the year, which is a bunch of sad faces for us. Um, you had... Uh, I stand by the theory of that Iguodala pick. I didn't realize that he was as in physically poor shape as he is. Yeah. So you had Enos Cantor, uh, Jamal Crawford, and Andre Iguodala. I had CJ Miles, Jamal Crawford, and Brandon Knight, which just is like SMH all over the place. Um, but, I mean, like... Who thought that we'd have two six man of the years in Houston? Like that's not even it's Lou Williams and it's Eric Gordon. That's one of them's gonna win it and it's like a foregone conclusion. They're too good and they they fit the exact mold of what a six man of the year is, like we talked about last time. Between those two, I'm I'm just like all Eric Gordon Eric Gordon on this one. 
Because I feel like I've seen him actually do more things other than just heat check for them. Like, when he tries to go to the lane, and now that he seems to be much healthier, he's still really good at it. Lou Williams, the only reason he even steps inside the three-point line at this point, I feel like, is to get fouled. <laughs> yep. I don't, I don't want to validate that kind of stuff, so I'm very much like, please vote for Gordon, just so we don't approve of him doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm sure... playing really well, but, you know, it's just a personal thing. And I'm sure you doing that is going to make Lou Williams stop doing that altogether. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think so, too. Do you remember when Eric Gordon was going to be the franchise player in Phoenix? Remember that Remember that week? Yeah, the, when they signed him the, to the offer sheet and he asked the Pelicans not to match and they decided to match. Oh, man. They gave him a lot of money to play with a broken hand and all this stuff. Is that, like, the biggest bullet dodged ever or no or what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess. I don't remember what the sheet was that they signed him to. At the time, it seemed okay, but not great. <laughs> no, but I, I think, I mean, that was a pretty big bullet, but I feel like for the biggest bullet dodge, you have to go with someone who was, like, going to be a superstar, and Eric Eric Gordon was probably just going to be, like, a pretty good player. Yeah. For all the health issues hit, but no, they definitely did dodge a bullet. With that. that was interesting. Yeah, so we got, I want to actually move on, because I want to get to the Booker's Beasley instead, so... Guess, oh my gosh. You know, you know they, they dodged the bullet, but they, they dove out of the way right into, like, the RPG. <laughs> Um, so let's move along because I want to get to the Booker 70. I forgot about that at the beginning here. Um, let's get to uh, Most Improved Player of the Year, uh, which I actually holding up pretty well, uh, for me at least. <laughs> um, so Troy had Emmanuel Moutier, Harrison Barnes, and D'Angelo Russell. How are you thinking about that? I mean, I think Russell's improved. But was 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 uh, Byron Scott the one holding him back? I think partially, yeah. A little bit. Just the, the, just a lot of the sort of lineup experimenting they're doing and stuff like that also affects him. But I mean Barnes, whatever. Emmanuel Mudiay just might not be that good. <laughs> I, I know I was like he, but when he was playing from China and when he before he came in, he was gonna be like so strong and so good. But he, he can't shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's not even that he can't shoot. It's just that like. There's a point when he's a rookie stops being an excuse for averaging a million turnovers. Yeah, as a point guard, like as a point guard, you shouldn't have even with high usage. Like if you're going to be a good point guard, the turnovers is the thing, which is why we're so uh, uh, encouraged by Ulis. <laughs> yeah, because he's pretty good at not doing. It. Yes. Um. So I had. Uh, he's down to like two and a half this season. Last time I checked. Wow. Um. That's that's amazing. Um, I had uh, Miles Turner, Rodney Hood, and Harrison Barnes there. Um, I don't. I mean, Rodney Hood's been injured a bunch. Miles Turner, I guess, like you had mentioned, it's hard to see a big man getting a most. Well, it's not hard to see him getting that, but it's it's the jump. It's the jump in scoring, the jump in opportunities, uh, just like C.J. McCollum. And this year, um, who do you think it could be this year? Actually, now that we have some data or most of the season done, it would not surprise me. And I don't know if you even do this, like, confidently, but it would not surprise me if everyone was just like, oh my god, Giannis Antetokounmpo is, like, somehow still even better. <laughs> if they want to make, like, a famous guy for it, I think I'd probably bet on him. If, they want, if they're, like, willing to go a little bit more, like, obscure, I, cannot, I don't even want to say obscure, but they're willing not to pick, like, a top 15 player. Um... Auto Porter? That might be a good one. Although I had Giannis pulled up right here because I think it's him. If it's not Harrison Barnes, which is he... So let's say Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes puts up his scoring eight points per game, which is pretty good. He's not horrible. He's effective field goal percentage of uh, 49.6. Uh, he's, he's not horrible. But I think Giannis is even better. He pulled his scoring from 16.9 to 23.1 this year. That's seven or eight points, but it's like farther. It's higher. It's a higher scale that he slid up there, and he is incredible. He dunks from wherever he feels like it. He just needs to shoot a little better if he. So, but yeah, I think Giannis could be a good um, one. I think Otto Porter as a, a sleeper is is decent, but I think I don't think he'll get it. But I th well, so yeah. Yeah, but I think I think Giannis probably a good bet just because. He was always really good, and he was always projected to improve. But, man, he, he – it, it was interesting to me that, like, 
there was really no argument against him being an all-star starter. Yeah, which is incredible. And I didn't think he would get there this year to where it's like, no, definitely he and LeBron are like the the forward center, whatever, all-star thing, because Jimmy Butler's there too. But that combo, yeah, that was unquestionably the case, and I wouldn't have believed that he he would do that. Do you think he's seven foot yet? <laughs> I mean, probably. Probably in shoes. Probably in shoes. He's seven foot. And for those who don't know, he he basically ended the league at 19 or so, at like 6'5 or something like that. And now he's like 7 foot. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. It's crazy. And he's so long. It's And he just like, he could, like, it's, there's times when I'm watching him, I'm just like, he dunks it. And you're like, you shouldn't have been able to dunk it. You were too far away. You were you were underneath a guy. You were, the, there's there's people above you. And then he's just like, oh, I'm going to extend my arm here and just dunk it on you. And he, when he sh- when it feels like he should lay it up, he dunks it. And it's it's incredible. If he can get a shot, he's going to be out there in the MVP. I mean, if he can shoot. Maybe even before, if he can't shoot, he's just so spectacular on defense and offense and steals and blocks, everything. So I think he is a, definitely a good, a good choice for that. Do we have any other potential most improved players other than Barnes and Giannis? Can't think of any. I mean, Isaiah Thomas was never supposed to be an MVP candidate. Yeah, but that I I have a gripe with that. I mean, it's it's if he's not on the Celtics with Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley, like and all those players, he's not that good. I mean, I mean, he is he is that good, but he's not this good, and it's not MVP level unless he has this exact team around him and that coach. Yeah, I feel you, but I feel like if, if he finishes like seventh in MVP voting that on you know he's playing with the contract he's playing on people consider it in sort of context of like man this guy was like six man score dude for like a couple of years yeah but like have we ever seen anybody f- over five or six years in the league how long has he been in the league like I think there's a cutoff point where five six years in the league you don't get any more awards like that I guess I mean, was in the league for but he hadn't played at all, like almost at all. Anyway, um, so that's interesting there. Let's keep going to Coach of the Year, which actually my top one's not bad. Um, so you had Brad Stevens, Greg Popovich, and Tom Thibodeau. I had Stan Van Gundy. Oof. But I had a caveat on if uh, they could get it going, if they could. I, I, well, I said it tips would win if they were over 500, and nope, they are not. They are not. Yeah. Good reason we had a caveat. At least you didn't, um, as uh, Tim Bontemps did, uh, have us take dinner on it. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad idea. Uh, or who was that? Was that him? Yeah, that was him. Yeah. Um, Brad Stevens and I had Quinn Snyder as the number one, which actually he might win it because if the Jazz may lock up the four seed here, not too not too far away, which is actually I think what I said on the podcast, they go from missing the playoffs by one game to the four seed, which is pretty impressive. And they have Hayward. They haven't. He's an All Star now. But like he's not he's he's quote, quote unquote the lowest tier of all stars that there is like in terms of uh, n- n- people who know him so it's kind of an incredible story of coaching and expectations like we talked about last time. Point to that I mean I think he's a candidate, but my counterpoint to like the four seed thing would be if the Clippers do what they did like against the Kings and they just keep blowing games and that's why the Jazz get the four seed. I'm gonna be kind of annoyed if it's just like. Well, Quinn Snyder won Coach of the Year because the Clippers just completely sucked in the last month. Well, that, that's what the Clippers do. <laughs> yeah, but, I, but no, I think, I think I mean, he's a really good coach. I think he's got case. So who do you think is the... It's just like, oh, the Jazz are in the four seed, Quinn Snyder for Coach of the Year. It's just like, well, it's for everything. Just for, like, uncoach of the year. For uncoach of the year, yeah. An un-GM of the year because he can't sign a stinking small forward. That's actually good. Um... <laughs> I think that's going to, I mean, it might be Dan Tony and it might be Scott Brooks, which I would be really happy with because both those guys were kind of persecuted in former jobs as somehow not being good when they were, I knew they were, they're obviously good coaches. Like they're revolutionary. They understand offense and they're really good coaches. So stop bang, bashing on them so hard. They have the right system. They have the right people around them, the right structure and the right um, ownership and GM, and they can be a good coach. Yeah, I like I like D'Antoni. I'm a little lukewarm on it just because, like, I feel like he's done a very good job. But I like I like rewarding guys like Scott Brooks, who who don't necessarily like like 
once we realized that Harden was not going to be be a pain in the butt, you know, like Carmelo and the Lakers guys were, yeah. it was pretty obvious that Dan Tony was going to be able to just sort of do what he wanted there, and it was going to make sense. Brooks, I feel like the fit there was not like blatantly obvious. I feel yeah. Brooks had to sort of construct something around his team, as opposed to just you know, like a, a sort of a marriage of convenience where these two guys, you know, the way Harden plays is a way that really works for what D'Antoni preaches. Mm-hmm. I still think D'Antoni definitely is, like, top three. But I, I'm sort of undecided overall. Well, actually, I just thought of this other one. Well, first of all, I'll mention, like, for the Rockets, I thought at the beginning, I still do, that the Rock. I think I said this on the podcast, too, basically, that the Rockets were either going to be totally awesome or totally horrible. Like, it's, there's no in-between with them. Oh, yeah, I agree. But also, here's something for Coach of the Year, Spolstra. I love Eric Spolstra. I'm pretty pretty adamantly against the Spolstra candidacy, though. Really? Yeah, and here's my argument is, I mean, he have played really well, and it, I think they're legitimately a decent team, and I'm not going to deny that. Um, and I think what they've done recently is sort of much more representative of what they're supposed to be. But my thing is... In no other context could you only be worthy of the award for half the year and get the award. Like, in no other case would we be like, yep. oh, this guy was bad for the first half of the year. And obviously it's coaching, so it's a little different. But this guy wasn't an MVP in the first half of the year, but has been an MVP in the second half, so he should win. So I feel like starting out 11-30 and 30 sort of makes me feel like, okay, you, you didn't coach – that well then, but you're coaching well now. So, like, what do you make of that? So was it the coaching then? Was it the coaching? And also, it wouldn't work if it was... the coaching specifically either, but I feel like just in general, like, if we're going to reward him for being 22 and 6 or whatever, I feel like we can't just ignore the 11 and 30 start. Otherwise, it's just like, wait, what are we evaluating? I agree. And also, it wouldn't work if it was the other way around. You can't, you can't uh, be... I mean, it's all about they're, they're voting now, so... We always overrate the second half of the season. So if you, if they had switched, if they went 22 and 6 and then went 11 and 30, there's no way he gets it. Just like the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers, that's kind of what the Lakers are doing, but in a much worse scale. Um, so like, it's not like he's not going to, Walton's not going to get it because they were good at the beginning and they're bad now. But it, so it's, so I get, I see what you mean, but, um, the Heat guys came on the podcast and they might beg to differ, but, um, so we'll we'll see about that because I think I mean, but I I think the top three are I mean you got I think Brad Stevens is still a good candidate because they're pushing for the one seed there, and they have and their best player is Isaiah Thomas, which we talked about he's good, but your best player is Isaiah Thomas, he's not physically imposing. It helps to have a physically imposing best player. Quote LeBron Durant, um. Kawhi, like it, it helps to have that. Paul George, like there's, these are your best players need to be able to just impose their will when it's necessary in the playoffs. Yeah, I, on Stevens, I want to check something really quick just because I think Stevens has a pretty decent case just because a lot of the guys, like, they, they've been a little more up and down. Like Horford, you know, was injured a little bit earlier. Yeah. Bradley hasn't been perfectly healthy. Crowder, he's played most of the season, but I think. They still have not been as complete as they necessarily like to be. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they're still going for the one seed and the fact that they sort of... I mean, they, they had a rough go of it early in the season. Their defense was terrible mm-hmm. after after Horford and I think Crowder both out at the same time. Like, that was rough. And to hang on, go through that, and then claim the one seed, I think looks good for his candidacy because... Once you do something like that, I think it, it impresses people in terms of, like, wow, you know, Brad Stevens helped get it, so, like, you know, Gerald Green and all these other guys, like, were able to step in when there were injury problems, and they were able to actually beat out LeBron's team for the top seed. I think that'll buy him some points. Yeah, Gerald Green and his ridiculous braids. Um, but also, I think that says more about the Cavaliers detrimentally than it does good for the Celtics, in my mind. That's fair. I, that argument probably would have sounded better before the Cavs were a bottom ten defense. Yeah, which is which is kind of amazing. I mean, I guess they did sign. I mean, they got Channing Fry, Richard Kyle Korver, Richard Jefferson. Like, they don't have many plus defenders. Like Jared Smith. Like, who's their plus defender other than LeBron? Uh, 
I can't think of anybody. I mean, you want to say Shumpert. You're right. Games like in the playoffs last season. But Shumpert, Shumpert isn't what he was two years ago anymore. Yeah, Thompson is like fine. He's not good. He's not bad. He's a rebounder. <laughs> yeah, dang. Um... So that's why they're top bottom, bottom 10 defense. Because they hope they can outscore and out-execute teams by their smarts. Because they have more basketball IQ than most teams. but And they have all the shooting that you could ever need. But, yeah, it's going to be kind of interesting. Well, that that was some interesting stuff. I guess we could also, we forgot it last time, but executive of the, of the year, does it have to be Daryl Morey again? <laughs> it's like they're going to they're, they're gonna get a lot of awards this year. Yeah, no, they, they, like... Like, they bet on Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, and it was kind of crazy because those guys were frequently, like, DNP injury acts, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the fact that they're here now, and the fact that he made the D'Antoni hire, even though it was sort of, from an external side, it was sort of, like, weird to not hire a coach who could coach any defense. So I think he's got to win. I mean, also getting uh, Decker and uh, Harrell to play well and... And, and resurrect Nene from obscurity, kind of, or oh, yeah. injury? Nene is, like, we talk about Anderson Gordon. Like, Nene is, in my opinion, the reclamation project of the year for them. Because, like, he was just pretty useless for a while after he, you know, started to get older. And then he was always hurt. And now, like, he's a rotation player. He's, he's like their backup center behind a capella. Yeah, so, I yeah, Daryl Morey. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a foregone conclusion. I mean, it could always be no, whatever. It's it's him. Um, so you were saying Jay Crowder, and that do you, did you see the the little thing about that of Jay Crowder and the Booker seventy? So for those of you who don't know, uh, Booker scores seventy, which we'll talk about with all that craziness. And after the game, I think uh, on Instagram, Book, uh, Crowder goes and says, "Never seen so many people happy about an after an L a loss." Um, and then eventually deletes that. But before then, Booker puts on, you couldn't guard me. And Booker is so Kobe-esque. I can't even believe it. I said it on a couple of podcasts. There's the trash talking. There's the backing it up. There's the shooting. There's the just everything about him. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think he's working his way into, into that Kobe reign. It's, it's some... because, because he's not the most loud guy. But, uh, but like, his trash talk, he doesn't, like, scream at people, but his trash talk is very snide. Yeah, that's what Kobe is. So it's sort of like a stand-up, or like a, like, yeah, I guess like a stand-up comedian, where there's nothing, like, aggressive about it. It's just sort of like a, a one-liner with, like, the sunglasses on and the arms behind the head, like, yeah, well, you can't guard me. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's exactly what Kobe was. That's exactly what Kobe was. It's yeah, so, yeah. so great. Well, let's talk about the records he broke, and then we'll talk about the kind of how they got there. I was rewatching that game, and he had, I think it was 10 points for the first, and after then the first quarter, and nine point, 19 points at the half. And it looked like he was playing horribly, horribly. Then he, then he gets to, uh, what was it? He had... He had 39. 39? Yeah, at the end of the third, I think. At the end of the third. No, I know he was more than that, because he, he couldn't get all the way to 70 in the fourth quarter. But I think he was at around 45 at the end of the third, 40, 45, 49, something like that. And then he had the, got to 70 by the end of the game, which is incredible because the records he broke were he beat the most points by a Sun player ever. Tom Chambers is 60. He had 10 more than that. He had most points. I was I was live. I was tweeting this. He uh, caught, caught LeBron and everybody else. Weirdly, Brandon Jennings is high on that list of – Highest scoring games for a player under 21. He blew that out of the water. I think LeBron was 56. Um, and he has the most players by most points in a game by an active player since Kobe retired last year with his 81. Uh, he had most play, most points against uh, uh, the Celtics ever and then most points in a half, destroying all the records. And it's just, it was pretty amazing to watch. He And the most amazing thing, how many threes did he have in that game? Four. He had four threes, four thirteen, I believe, which is amazing for seventy points. They still lost because it was a plan of a blowout game, and the Celtics are amazing, and the Suns are not because there's no one, nobody playing. 
I mean, I think they're playing right now against the the Hawks, or they played against the Hawks, and they could have. They had so many fouls and so many injuries, and uh, um, putting people on the shelf like Bledsoe and everybody that they could have almost had no subs because almost everybody fouled out except for the five players on the court. Um, it's kind of amazing how, I mean, Derek Jones Jr. is playing. Uh, Eddie, what what the, the guy that picked up on a ten day is playing significant minutes. Um, yeah, it's it, yeah, Jarrell Eddie, and it's crazy. All so let's um, let's talk about. So he had seventy. It was amazing. He's the sixth per, one of the, one of six people only to do it. Will Chamberlain, Kobe Bryant. Uh, let's see here. Who else? Um, David Thompson, David Robinson, Michael Jordan never got to seventy. He only got sixty nine. Um, well, Elgin Baylor. So those are some amazing. That's some amazing company. And also, I was looking. There was one stat that got put out there where uh, Booker. Uh, joins the players who have scored uh, 50 points this season or something. And all the players were solidly in their prime except for Booker, who is about seven years away from his prime. So I think he's in for quite a good year, quite a good career, because he's already averaging more points than his um, than his uh, age. He's averaging 21 points per game, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, was, that was a great thing. The one thing I said is, because I was in the office at uh, Arizona Sports where I interned during that game, at one point I turned to someone else there when he was at like 54 or something, and I said, man, it'd be cool if he breaks the record, but it'd also kind of suck because that record would be etched in a garbage season that we all just want to forget. Yeah. He gets 70, so I was just like, oh, well, you know. What Guess this is just the only thing we want to remember about the season, then. Yeah, that, and then and Alan Williams and stuff. I, I big sauce is the best. But uh, so, what do you think about the way they got seventy? This timeouts and what Watson said about letting our guys be great. And uh, is it is it bad to go for the stats like this? I don't. I think no. From the sun side, like I kind of get it, just because it's like it's sort of pointless. And there is sort of an element of just like, you know, play the game, for, you know, for the team, not necessarily just for his stats. But uh, number one, in a season where the Suns just have nothing to go for and they're also tanking, like, I don't care. I'm not going to nitpick their actions. And number two, and this is the thing that really annoyed me about, like, people on Twitter and, like, Boston fans and stuff like that weren't uh, chanting his name, which a lot of the ones in the building were which is that you want him to stop scoring, stop fouling him. Like, so many of his last points came from the free-throw line because they kept letting him take stupid shots, but then they would foul him. Crowder fouled him, Thomas fouled him, I think, twice, and they were just like, you know, he's racking up the points. Well, then let him miss the stupid shot he's taking. Yeah, he wasn't going to miss a shot, but yeah, you're right. It wasn't like the refs were, like, giving him ticky-tack fouls to get him there. There was were legitimate fouls on legitimate. He would die. He would go to the hoop. He would do a crossover and rise up and shoot the shot. And they would actually foul him. Like it wasn't the refs helping him get to seventy. Scoring, then let him. Because I mean, at that point, he was just sort of shooting for his own fun, which I don't mind at all. Because the game's pretty much over. But if you don't want him to do that, then stop fouling him. Like that was the dumb part to me. Is they're like, oh, you know, it's racking up the points. It's like, yeah, because he's at the free throw line. So do you think Brad Stevens secretly wanted Booker to get 70 because he put Isaiah Thomas on him? Yes. After I said that then, I was like, I guess Brad wants to give the fans something fun to watch because they switched Thomas on him late. So just so everybody knows, Booker's 6'7", and Isaiah Thomas is 5'10", or 5'9", and and can't, he's not, he can jump, but he can't, like, get away from Booker, or can't guard Booker. Yeah, so. So that's kind of incredible. Yeah, so I, I... I, I was just like, man, someone, like, they want this just to be fun because they're putting Thomas on him. Which is why it's all the more weird that Boston fans, the ones that were, that are decrying this, this act of not basketball, get, go play basketball, you guys are in the tank, we're going to the playoffs. That's not what basketball's about. Like, if you, if you've been in a locker room, if you understand, if you've, I mean, I've coached youth teams, it's not the same thing, obviously, but it's like, it's this momentum for the team. Like, that's not how it works. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no, to me, to me, I thought, like, just 
just he did a thing. Let's just you know sort of let, let's just let everyone enjoy it. That's been my thing with with everything in general. It's just it, it doesn't hurt anybody. Let people enjoy what they want to enjoy. Sports are fun because it's entertainment. Um, also, also, short rant here. I don't care that they lost. Stop telling me that they lost. He played with a team that was equivalent, probably talent-wise, to the team that will score a hundred on. The only difference is they didn't get to play against five guys of that caliber. They had to play against a modern NBA team. Like I don't care that they lost. Also, it it was a ten-point loss, which is not. Close, but not terrible. If Booker hadn't shot that, they would have lost by thirty-two. If so, Booker hadn't, if Booker hadn't missed those threes or anything, they might have won the game. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, there was a legitimate moment where I was like, if Booker keeps making shots, they can make a comeback. Then they just sort of traded fouls, and I was like, all right, whatever. But stop! Everyone was just like, oh, they lost, and Booker scored seventy. I don't care. It's like, yeah, he scored seventy points, like. The achievement, the only achievement in sports is not just victory. I know we all want rings and wins, and that's what counts in the standings, blah, 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 but that's not the only thing people do in sports is put wins in the win column or losses in the loss column. To me, that attitude is really irritating. Especially if you're already in the, um, if you're already uh, eliminated from the playoffs, like, what's the harm? What's the, what's your motivation? It's to get better? To keep the camaraderie and to go for greatness, that whatever you can. Yeah, I just that, that's I agree. Well, this has been great. Um, if you, uh, well, why don't you plug your stuff and we'll get out of here. Um. Well, NBA stuff when I do it, which will be ramping up as the playoffs start at a uh, sixteen wins a ring and fanragsports.com. Uh, as for college stuff, CrockettSports.com, I talk about ASU basketball, I talk about ASU lacrosse, I produce and appear on our live studio show as well, so um, all that stuff, and you can follow me on Twitter for my sarcastic NBA tweets, uh, at TT underscore sports, and I think that plugs everything I want to plug. <laughs> there you go. Well, um, definitely go follow Troy. Um, we've got, I really hope you guys go listen to back to my old, all the old podcasts, but also the one with Troy. I know we're not famous, but I think we've got some good insights. I would love for everybody to go listen to it. Go tell your friends. Follow me at, on Twitter at Eric underscore Saar. That's S-A-A-R. Um, and follow my podcast, solarinsights.net. Uh, we don't have a Twitter feed because I just want, it's just me, but, uh, go follow my, me on Twitter. Follow, go solarinsights.net and have a great night, everybody. Mm-hmm.